0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at MontroseChurch.org. Have a great day. Sorry, I thought I'd just go around the screen this morning. (laughs) How are we doing? Well, good morning. Uh, Glad you guys are here. Uh couple of things just to kind of get you in a loop, it's December, by the way, y'all know that, <laughs> maybe you're used to coming in this first Sunday of December and seeing, uh, you know, put together for Christmas, uh, we're holding off just a little bit on that uh, for a couple of reasons, one is because we couldn't fathom stapling anything to the new room, <laughs> you know, I mean, it'll get broken in, but right now it's like, ooh, uh, no, that's just a minor part of it. Uh, Next week's children's production, so we knew we were going to have to strike everything. And believe it or not, we're not quite done. Uh, There's actually inspections coming this week and a lot of things. And so we thought, we'll hold off just a little bit and and make it all happen. So Christmas is here. It is December. uh, And uh, the decor will follow at some point. Uh, So as you think about that, I want you to think a little bit about year-end and year-end giving and what that looks like. Uh, we're still in a legacy project, so all this stuff that's happening, uh, it actually still has to get paid for, so think about that and pray about that. And while that's all happening, we still have a church that we're running, so there's that you know, legacy project, tithes and offerings, and then, believe it or not, Faith Promise, which is money we give away to other ministries and organizations, and uh, that doesn't stop just because we're having a project here. So prayerfully, and I'll also tell you, at some point, there'll be a Christmas tree in the lobby, and it'll have ornaments on it, and the ornaments are things you can take to give a gift to furnishings to the new project. So if you say, I'd like to buy some new chairs for the sanctuary, because they're ordered and on the way, don't you think? The blue doesn't really go with the gray, does it? Yeah, so that's going to change. But also tables, chairs, uh, different things throughout the building that... uh, we want to finish the job well. You understand? We do have old furniture we could bring back. That just doesn't seem fun. So be prayerful about all of that as we, as we head to year end. I don't know about you, but uh, it was at one point in life very easy to experience Christmas. Like as a child or when you were younger, Christmas happened to you. You gave no thought to producing any kind of goodwill about Christmas. It brought its own goodwill. Amen? So as you get older, that becomes less true. You actually have to prepare yourself for the season. So true is this, that we celebrate the season of Advent. And what is Advent except this? It is the season to get ready. It is the season of preparation for the coming of Christmas. So the four Sundays previous to Christmas Day, we celebrate Advent. We, we put our hearts and minds into preparing ourselves to receive the gift of Christmas. And that gets trickier as we get older. So we're calling this little series Some Assembly Required because the reality is if you're going to experience the power of the season, you're going to have to do a little work. You're going to have to make some effort. And this morning specifically... Uh, we're talking about each sold separately. And that just means uh, you got to do this on your own. You don't get to live on somebody else's spirit. You, you don't get to tag on. I mean, people in your whole house can be celebrating, and you can miss it. You know, you can, you can be left out just because you didn't quite get your heart in the right place. When I sat down to start writing this series, it was uh, in October... And it was one of those unseasonably warm weeks. It was in the 90s. And I found myself sitting in my office going, I am in no mood to write Christmas. I mean, I do not feel Christmassy at all. And so I I started to just reflect a little bit about Christmas and and, uh, about what Christmas was like for me growing up in north central Texas. And, you know, we didn't have white Christmases in Texas ever, 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 ever at all, ever. And so we lived in a little town outside of Dallas, a place called Duncanville, Texas. And uh, my mom's family lived all over the United States. My mom had five siblings uh, plus herself. And uh, my grandparents never lived close to us, you know, so that side of the family was kind of out there. Sometimes they might come to town for Christmas, but that would be really rare so we had relatives in Michigan and Kentucky and Florida, Ohio. We had people all over, you know, on that side of the family. One aunt lived just a few miles away. And, uh, and so that side of the family was kind of that side of the family. But my dad's side of the family lived all within probably five or six miles of each other. My dad had three sisters, and so the four siblings, and then all of the cousins. I think there were 10 or 12 of us cousins And my grandparents on my dad's side lived just about two miles from our house, and they lived on a property that we called The Ranch. Now, I don't know how it got the name, The Ranch, because it was not a ranch. (laughs) In fact, it was a a city lot, but it was a big city lot, and, uh, and it was on the edge of town, so if you'd have gone there when I was a kid, you would have thought you were in the country, but you really weren't. You were really in the city and uh, And my grandfather uh, had uh, contracted to salvage a home to to demolish a home in Highland Park area, maybe you've heard of that neighborhood uh, and uh, and so he took the scraps from that demolition project and he built that house that they lived in on the ranch. Now the ranch did have a corral and it did have a little barn and it did have you know some uh, some space to keep livestock and a chicken pen, but very rarely were there animals in any of that, because my grandparents weren't good at animals, they did gardening, they were better at inanimate objects than they were at, you know, <laughs> livestock. It was a tiny house, and my, as my grandfather finished it out, he, he put asphalt shingles on the outside of the house, they, they were poor, it was a poor family about 900 square feet in the house. It was a three-bedroom home, about 900 square feet. You, you with me? Some small rooms. Small rooms. And we would get up on Christmas morning, and it would just be my sister and my mom and dad and Santa, and we would do all of that because we were Christmas morning people. Can I get an amen? amen. And I married into a Christmas Eve family. So after some counseling and work, we've, we've managed some compromise in there because that's touchy stuff. You know, that's the big stuff they don't warn you about when you're getting married. you know. Uh, pull out the first present on Christmas Eve, that's a rude awakening. I mean, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So Christmas morning, Santa came, and we did the Santa thing and then, you know, ate something quick, and then everybody got ready because we we're going to Grandma's house. And we showed up at Grandma's house, and, uh, and so you can imagine now, you know, there, there's about 12 kids plus all the adults plus my grandparents in a 900-square-foot house. And the rule back then was everybody got a present, you know, not this deal now where you go pick a name and, you uh, know everybody bought every kid a present. So as a kid, you know, you're like, I got four, five, six presents here because, you know, Grandma, she was not very disciplined about how many presents she bought. She loved Christmas, so, you know, you might get two, you might get five. You just didn't know, but you were okay with it. It was okay. And so, uh, you know, imagine. And my grandfather at that point, he still went out and cut down the Christmas tree. Not legally, but he did it. And if you've ever been in North Central Texas, you know this, there are not any appropriate Christmas trees growing. What grows are short, fat, squatty cedar trees. They roughly resemble a Christmas tree, but just roughly. They're generally very short and very big around, and so he would drag one of those into the living room, which took up about half of the room. (laughs) And then underneath it are all of those presents. And so we would converge late Christmas morning at my grandparents' house, all of us, and basically then all of the presents would be distributed. All of the kids would have their four, or five, or six presents in front of them. And maybe it was because of the lack of space, but there was no organization, there were no rules. They handed those things out and said, go, and we ripped into them. <laughs> I'm talking it was a five-minute deal. <laughs> five minutes. The room was transformed from this, you know, place into waist-deep wrapping paper and boxes. The most repeated phrase on Christmas morning for me as a child at my grandparents was this, don't lose your gifts. (laughs) Do you have your gifts? Did you put them in the car? Did you get it? That was it. And so then we would would clean up a little, and then it was lunchtime, and lunch was buffet-style on the big table in the kitchen, you know, and it was always interesting because my uncles were hunters. So they had always killed something and brought it for Christmas lunch. And often as a child, I'll be like, what are we eating? And you're like, well, I, I killed it. I know you killed it, but I want to know what it is. <laughs> and uh, more than once as a child, you know, I thought I was getting myself a scoop of roast beef and it turned out to be, you know, duck or something pretty gamey. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's a difference between the duck you buy in a place, you know, at a restaurant, and the duck that your uncle shot. <laughs> they had some, <laughs> some dubious process of getting to the table. <laughs> just weren't always sure you should be, you know, thoughts like salmonella were in your head. And because there was no place to sit, you, you made your way around the table, you loaded up your plate, and then you just went wherever you could find to eat your Christmas lunch in peace. After a couple of hours, you know, we, we got outside because north central Texas, you know, it's going to be cold, but it's likely going to be sunny and dry. And so we got out and we played and we did our stuff. And then it was time to go home. We went home, we reloaded. And then we went to my aunt's house on my mom's side. And it was the other experience. It was organized and structured. They had four kids. It was our two and their four. And you know, four adults, and so the ratio was better, you know. I was very organized. You got your gift, and when it was your turn. You opened, and everyone watched, and, you know, thank you so much. You know. And then there was another meal, and my, my uncle on that side of the family was a deer hunter, so there was always going to be venison on the table, you know. And for a kid that, you know, my exotic experience was hot dogs, venison was not in my realm at the time I do remember this as a kid I did not believe that anybody on the planet had a better Christmas than me I just thought it was the most incredible wonderful and it wasn't just that experience it was this experience too do you remember that in December the newspaper everybody know what a newspaper is (laughs) The Sunday edition of the newspaper, usually the first Sunday in December, had a special section on the specials that were going to be on TV for the whole season, and you could pull that out and keep it because you didn't have a thousand ways to stream things. You, you, you figured out when it was going to be on, and then you made a plan, and all the shows had Christmas specials. I'm talking the, ghost, you know, the shows like Carol Burnett and Red Skelton and, you know, older people help the younger people. And then of course there were the, the you know the standards at some point Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was going to be on TV and either you made that appointment and kept it or you missed it <laughs> White Christmas was going to be on and in our house we were watching White Christmas as my mom's favorite movie we watched it every year we never missed it not ever not ever It's a wonderful life you 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 looked and then this is what was weird It was a big deal. You knew it was coming. You made plans for it. Your family gathered around. You watched it, and you watched every commercial. (laughs) Norelco. Santa riding a razor through the snow. (laughs) Vivid memories right there, yeah. Kraft. Kraft owned the commercials on the Christmas season, you know. Make this. Look, it's cheese. I mean, you just watched, and you were hungry. And you went to school the next day and every kid in your class had watched the same show you had. It was it was a very significant kind of and I just remember thinking this is the best there is. And as you get older, I think it's harder to be in those moments. You have to do a little more prep. You have to get your heart in the right place. God's the same, the story's the same, the gift is the same, but are we ready? Are we in a space to receive that and what it looks like? I think Isaiah, as he writes in chapter 9, he's, he's owning some things about humanity, about what it is to be alive and breathe, and, and he's talking specifically about his own culture and his own world and his own experiences, but, but he's also talking about what it means to be a human being. And so listen to his words as we think together about this passage, opening Advent, Some assembly required, each sold separately. Listen to these words. Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Moving to verse 2. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So when Isaiah writes, he's writing in sort of a a slot of time where the southern kingdom is still intact but it's under threat but the northern kingdom has already been destroyed the Assyrians have already destroyed the northern kingdom and so generationally speaking Isaiah is living in a time of darkness he, he, he has a story about people he knows and family he knows that have been destroyed by what has happened And what has happened didn't just carry off some people into exile and deny them the opportunity to worship as they wanted and celebrate as they wanted and and to be a part of their traditions as they wanted. It had also seeped into the psyche of the people. They had lost. They had been destroyed. It had been torn apart for them. And they lived in this constant darkness, this constant sense of failure, this constant sense of loss. But it's not just about what has happened historically and generationally. He's also writing and speaking about the threat that is hanging over Jerusalem. And and so as he contemplates the Babylonians that are kind of at the doorstep and ultimately are going to destroy the southern kingdom, destroy the temple, all of that stuff's about to happen, as he reflects on all of that, he, he writes this Work And if you follow just the whole structure of Isaiah, you know that the first 39 verses are not a happy time. They're they're very much about the threat and about people getting their hearts and minds right and doing the right thing and returning to God and being loyal. It's all about that. And then at chapter 39, it's like he just has exhausted all of those warnings he can give and he turns his attention for the last 26 books to comfort in fact, chapter 40 opens with comfort, comfort my people. And so we're in this stage where he's thinking about the generational loss, but he's thinking about the psyche of the country and the threat that hangs over them. And into this sort of darkness, this gloom, he writes what we call the servant passages. There's several of them. In the middle of the judgment, in the middle of that 39 chapters, there's, there's just verses and one of them is here, chapter 9. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living, and you've heard it phrased a couple of ways, on those living in deep darkness, a light has dawned. On those living in the land of the shadow of death. These are two separate Greek words for darkness. He's not just, he's not just writing poetry, he's actually got a message to send. And the, the first word is hoshek. And hoshek is, is a Hebrew word that is the literal word for physical darkness. It, it means, you know, uh, the lights got turned off. Didn't mean that in the day, obviously, <laughs> uh, but natural darkness. But scripturally, it had become a metaphor. And, and what it was used as a metaphor in the Old Testament writing is it came to mean the darkness that came about us from sin because we messed up. And, and that took a couple of different natures. Uh, It's often referred to as the kind of darkness that people live in because they rebelled against God. We've all got a little of that darkness, don't we? Most of us have rebelled at some point in big ways and small ways. Some of us understand that on a daily basis. You know, we have faith. We're mad. We rebel. We lean in. We need help. But it had a second meaning, and the second meaning was that it had to do with sin committed in ignorance. That about covers it, doesn't it? (laughs) The ones I did on purpose and the ones that I messed up and didn't really know till later, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't. I I was in a state of mind of such, and then I looked back and went, boy, that was dumb. Anybody identify with this? So as he writes, he's saying, listen, this is what I understand. The people living in this darkness, the darkness that's generated by their own choices, by their own failures, by their own mistakes, by by their regrets, those people living in that kind of darkness, and and the ones who have come to the realization that I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't. I acted in ignorance. I didn't understand. It's not until now that I look back. Anybody here would say, if I could go back and live my life over again, I would make better choices, because we all know that, because we would, because we did a lot of dumb stuff, (laughs) A lot of dumb stuff. People living in that darkness. Because that kind of darkness can fill you with all kinds of remorse and regret and dysfunction and pain and suffering. And it can be generational. It can, it can last and you can see it in your family system. The people living in that darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness now. And he moves then to the second word, salmawith. And the word salmawith is the kind of darkness that comes when human beings come to the point that they look at God and go, where are you? How come you're not showing up? How come you let this happen to me? How come this went the way i was praying i was asking i was doing my best and you didn't show up and bad things happened in this story and this journey and you can feel the weight of this in isaiah's story it's hard to preach to a bunch of people and say god's going to take care of you when the northern kingdom has collapsed and those people are still living in exile it's hard to say god's going to take care of everything when the babylonians are gathering at the border When the threat of of a loss of a way of life and and of a culture is is weighing in the balance and, and you can feel the weight of his writing. It's not just what we did. It's not just how we responded. It's not just how we acted. It's not just how we failed. It's not just our ignorance. But it's also this sense that we're alone, that we can't explain it all, that we can't figure it all out. On those people, a light has dawned. On that darkness, a light has come. For unto you a child is born, and unto you a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, so as he writes these words, he's, he's pulling in the crowd, and then he's saying, I want you to think about The attributes that are coming to you. I want you to think about what this is. And obviously, we're on the other end of this now. And we're thinking about this is the gift of Christmas. This is what we're celebrating. All the other things aside, what we're celebrating is that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And unto us has been given a wonderful counselor. That's very specific, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I could use a wonderful counselor. I think the great thing about being in therapy is this. It's all about me. Amen. Isaiah looks at that crowd and he says to them, you've been given a wonderful counselor because you and I need one. We need a place to unload our burdens. We need a place to tell our story. We need a place to talk about us. We need a place to unravel some things and sort some things. And it's amazing how therapeutic it is just to talk about your story. It's amazing. Things that we've stuffed down and pushed back and refused to deal with. In the presence of a wonderful counselor, we are invited to open up, to unburden our hearts, to stop hiding. You've been given a wonderful... How do you deal with the darkness of your own failure and, and ignorance and, and this systemic sense that you're alone and that God doesn't care or doesn't hear or you can't fit all the pieces together? Well, you start with a wonderful counselor. You, you talk about it. You, you let it out. You tell the story. It's amazing the things that can get put together the connections that can be made as we lean into this space of wonderful counselor. It matters. It matters. But He's also mighty God. He's not just a cosmic grandfather who listens to us pour out our heart. He's a God of power and strength who is in the business of transforming our lives. Isaiah is saying, listen, I want you to understand that he's not just there as a wonderful counselor, but he's mighty God. He he can recreate. He can rewire. He can rework what is broken in us. He can heal what has been damaged. He, he can bring back to life what has died. And I don't know of any human being who's lived very long that doesn't need some things cleaned up and brought back to life and refreshed and renewed and rewired and re-energized. Amen? Amen. And he's an everlasting father. These are interesting things to put together, aren't they? Because he could just be mighty God, but he's got to throw in there he's also the everlasting father. I observe this. As a grandfather, I live in those two worlds right there, you know. You know what I'm saying? I live in that world that's about, you know, helping and structuring and being disciplined and helping the grandkids learn some things that only I can teach them. That's not true. but (laughs) (laughs) That's what you think as a grandfather, you know. Well, I'll take care of it. And, you know, your heart is, I just want to be the father. I just want to be the give-you-whatever-you-want person. You understand? Any other grandparents here? Yeah, we don't care about the discipline so much. I mean, we don't want them to turn out to be bad kids, but in some ways that would be fair. (laughs) That's a grandparent joke. (laughs) We did pray that prayer. Oh, I hope you have a kid just like you. <laughs> but now, as grandparents, you don't really want that. But finding this balance between being the grandfather who sweeps in and loves them, just loves them. And you know it's both. You know it's always a disciplined piece, but a love piece. But as grandparents, you're way over here on the love side. You're just way over here on the love side. And I think that's why Isaiah writes it this way. Mighty God! Everlasting Father. Because I think God's way over there on the love side. Protecting, scooping us up. Meeting us at our point of need. And He is the Prince of Peace. Well, I could use one of those. Amen? He could move right in here, right in here. I could could use a ruling authority... With some power and connection to declare peace in my brain. Because it seems like the older you get, the more those types of darkness eat away at your mind. And the longer you live, the more connected relationships you have. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but people and relationships are complicated. I mean, isn't that part of why Christmas was so easy when you were a child? And it's a little more complicated now? Because as a child, you were making trouble. Amen? And as an adult, you're trying to keep trouble from happening. Well, that's harder, it turns out. It's easier to make trouble than clean it up. So he invites us into this place where the Prince of Peace is ruling on those living in the land of darkness, a light has done. On those living in deep darkness, a new light has come. And so I think as we celebrate and as we think about what that looks like and what that means in our journey this Christmas and, and how it matters and how it unfolds, I, I, I want to ask you to do a few things. Number one... As we step, and I'm hoping to do this every week. Every week I hope to say to you, here's some steps to take, some assembly required, each sold separately, you know, uh, here's how we individually are going to work on this. Four steps towards engaging in this season in a fresh way. Number one, be honest about the darkness. I, I think it's so therapeutic to just say, here's where I'm hurting and this is Why? And and maybe it's about our own rebellion or failure, or maybe it's about things that have happened to us in ignorance, or maybe it's about the loneliness we feel when we feel that we have been separated from God or He's not listening, or we're in circumstances that are absolutely impossible to explain. But be honest about the darkness. You don't have to stuff it down. That's not what this is about. This is not about putting on your happy face and getting into a season and pretending to be joyful. This is about people who are living in darkness, seeing a great light. It's about people who are over there in that space having some joy and faith and connection to hope. So be honest about the darkness. Whatever you do, if that's a personal reflection, if you're a journaling person and you just, as you think about it, go ahead and be honest about it. Number two. Confess the darkness and let it go. Confess it and let it go. God, I'm pretty mad at you. And here's why. These are the things I don't understand. These are the things I wish you would have done differently. These are the things if I was God, I would have done differently. Amen? You're like, can you talk like that to God? I'm pretty sure He knows. (laughs) Pretty sure He already understands those feelings. And so confess them. And then let it go. Really let it go. I didn't say hide. I said acknowledge it, be honest about the darkness, confess it, and then let it go. It's not that we're not dealing with it. It's that we are arriving at a point where we can stop. And I will promise you this. If you honestly engage in this process, there's going to be a voice in your head saying, you need to worry about this. You need to pick this back up. You know that stuff you wrote down? Wow. God must be super upset about that. (laughs) Got to let it go. You got to say over and over, (laughs) I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to walk in this darkness. That's not what this season is about. It's about me letting go. It's about me trusting. I'm going to let it go. Step number three, I'm going to let the light shine. Now, I know I won't ask for a show of hands, but I know in this room and online that there's a significant number of us that worry we're worriers you know we just it comes naturally to us to think about stuff and so I just you know I'm a worrier I have yet to have this experience I don't usually wake up at 4 in the morning and feel like that if I don't do something the sun's not going to come up anybody with me Yeah, I don't generally worry about that. I figure the sun's going to come up whether I do stuff or not. I I, I think the idea of the light dawning on us is that we don't have to figure out how to make it happen. You with me? Just let it happen. Become aware. Watch. I don't know if you know this, but last night there was a Christmas parade here in Montrose. How many of you knew that? Yep. How many of you were there? yeah it isn't a weird thing. it is a weird event. Let's be honest And if you have ever aspired to be in a parade, this would be the one you could get into. I mean, I mean, if you got a wagon and some battery operated lights, you're in. I'm sure you got to pay something, but you know it. I mean you see things walk by and go, "Hmm, wow." <laughs> I mean, you know, we had a float in the parade last night, Montrose Church Kids Club had a float in the parade last night. Yeah. Uh, and and they spent hours on it. I just reflect on that cuz the Rose Parade, you know, they spend months. And our group spent hours, and that's really appreciated. And I will tell you, they won most beautiful. Actually, it's not a thing. But if there was a thing. Because <laughs> it, was, it was certainly in the top five things that rolled down the street. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Yeah, I mean, it was. And so, uh, and then I'm just astonished at how many people show up for this thing. What, 50,000 people down there? I mean, they're 12 deep, all up and down the street, you know, watching this parade. And by the way, the bands are always awesome. If you want to know the highlight of the parade, it's the bands. And Santa. But I, uh, watching the crowd last night, this this is what you realize. Some people are letting the light in and some aren't. And you can walk, I mean, it's very vivid. Yeah, you know, all these people out of a stupid parade. <laughs> Those people are everywhere. I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see other people. They got Rudolph's nose on and <laughs> antlers and they're dancing around. And That's, that's the season, isn't it? You've got to let the light in you got to jump in. The light is here. Are you watching? Are you seeing? Because there are people that were at that parade last night that would say, what a highlight of the season it was. And there are other people going, that's the dumbest thing I ever did. <laughs> Amen? And it all has to do with the eyes through which you're watching. And we can become cynical people, and we do. And then we wonder why we don't allow the Spirit in us. you got to let the light shine you got to watch. I promise if you will watch, there will be thousands of ways in which the light will shine in your story and in your journey and in your life. And finally, the last one is this. Embrace the gift. Embrace the gift. Say it again and again. This season is about the fact that the loving God of the universe has invested in me a, a, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. and call it out. Right now, I need the Prince of Peace to show up in this situation. Right now, I need a wonderful counselor. Right now, I need a mighty God. Right now I need an everlasting... Right now, I need you all to show up in committee. I need all of you at once. But call it out and embrace the gift of the season. Pray with me, God, we're thankful for the season. We're thankful for what it means. We're thankful that it's not about holding on to something sentimental. It is about allowing, again, the season to be born in us. And that's my prayer. My prayer for this congregation, my prayer for the season, my prayer for the individuals who are participating in the room and online and through the course of this week is that you would allow us to embrace what it means to receive the light into the darkness whether the darkness is of our own making whether the darkness comes from ignorance things we did and we didn't understand whether it comes from a deep sense of loneliness whether it comes from circumstances where we really can't explain how you fit into all of that what we're asking what we're praying, what we're seeking in this season is that you would come into our space and into our hearts and that the The light would dawn in our darkness. And so we respond to your word. Here we are to worship. Here we are to bow down. Here we are to say that you are our God. Would you hear our prayers and would you apportion grace to each person as there is need? I lay the needs of these folks at your feet in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.